Dear Broadies, before I get to the episode, I want to take a moment to address the June 24th, 2022 Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. This decision stripped away the right to have a safe and legal abortion in the United States. Everyone should have the freedom to decide what's best for themselves and their families, including when it comes to ending a pregnancy. This decision has dire consequences for individual health and safety, and could have harsh repercussions for other landmark decisions in this country. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all Americans and people who live in America. Learn more by visiting choice.crd.co. That's choice.crd.co. If you're able to support others, please consider donating to abortion funds. You can find a list of where to donate in each state at donationsforabortion.com. That's donations, the number four, abortion.com. I have personally started donating to states where trigger laws go into effect immediately. Remember, even if you can only spend $1 or $5, that helps. There are things we can do to fight this, and it is going to take continued focus and community support. So I encourage you to speak up, take care, and spread the word. You can't tell me something's right just because it's been done that way for a specific amount of time. Like mm-hmm. That's just how my personality is, I think. So I've always was aware that something was off about objectivity. And the fact that when I was forced to tell a quote-unquote objective story a certain way, yeah. I would feel like in a moral bind. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pod Broads. This is a podcast about women in podcasting, and I'm your host, Alexandra Cole. Alexandra. Everybody, welcome back to an episode of the Pod Broads. I want to thank you for being back. I know last week I kind of went radio silent unexpectedly. And for those of you who follow me on Instagram and Twitter, you may have seen that I've been sick with COVID and was just completely put out last week. Couldn't get anything done. Um, totally bedridden and I'm doing a bit better now. So I am back and getting back into the swing of episodes. So thank you for coming back. And I am really excited to share this episode with you. So what's really funny about this episode is it's with a friend and a past uh, client of mine, Siona Petros, who's the co-host, co-creator, co-producer of a podcast called Own Your Stories, which is all about the intersection of the political and the personal and, of course, told through the stories of individuals. And we did work together last year in like the winter, fall uh, kind of crossover time. And right away when I started listening to this podcast, I knew I was going to want to work with them. And specifically, I remembered Siona reaching out via DM before we had started working together to tell me to rest up after I had posted about being sick, um, which is kind of hilarious since once again, I am sick and I was actually unknowingly sick with COVID while I was interviewing her two Fridays ago. Um, So Siona's always been someone who's been like, prioritize what you need, prioritize yourself, the rest will figure it out. And right at the beginning of our conversation in this episode, she's talking about 
kind of this apathy she's been feeling lately. And I was really identifying with it because I've been feeling a lot of, I don't know if I'd call it apathy, but just exhaustion, burnt out, all those things. And I love the way she framed it. She was like, I'm just not feeling urgency because I'm like sitting in the realization that it's been a year with pandemic protests, like election, all this crazy shit that's been going on. And I'm still here. And I mean, it's kind of ironic because I was like, yeah, totally. Like, I love that way of thinking about it. Meanwhile, I was like sick with COVID and didn't realize it until it came in full swing a few days later. But, you know, I stand by agreeing with that because I am still here. I might be sick and still getting over this virus, but I'm here. And if you're listening to this, you're here too. And I just think it's important to acknowledge that and give space to that. And so in this conversation, we start there and we really get into a lot of these ideas that I was really stoked to talk to Siona about because I know she deals with it a lot in her work, but kind of this idea of the fallacy of objectivity and okay, where does the idea quote unquote of objectivity even come from? And what does that mean in journalism in particular? And also intersectionality, which is a thing I talk about a lot um, and that informs the way I move through my work, the way I move through my feminism. And so we really got to see how that impacts the way that she crafts her work and approaches Own Your Stories and also the other spaces she works in. And so we talk about that and we also talk about how Own Your Stories has grown since its first season and what it was before it even was a podcast. And I can't wait for you all to hear her journey. Siona is just super dope, really knowledgeable. I always learn something when I talk to her and I am just really stoked that you're back here to listen. And today you get to listen to Siona. Now, I'm going to drop you in in just a moment, but I also wanted to say... We recorded this the week of the shootings in Atlanta when a white man killed six Asian women in different spas uh, all around Atlanta. And it comes up briefly in our conversation, especially when we're talking about objectivity and the way that the news reports on incidents like this. And so I just want to encourage all of you who are listening and who are not a part of the Asian American community, if you haven't already, to look for ways that you can support the Asian community right now. And always, um, I know that uh, I was able to donate to Asian American Legal Defense and Education Fund. Uh, Justine Goody, who writes about podcasts for Vanity Fair, she was kind of organizing a way to donate and have that amount matched. So shout out to Justine. Thank you for that. But there's other ways that you can support if you're not able to submit funds right now. And Part of that is, of course, listening to our Asian community right now, listening to Asian American women, Asian women, and really hearing the way that this is affecting them and has affected them. There's a great uh, magazine, online magazine that my friend Sarah does work for. It's called Mochi Mag. And there's a piece that she actually shared pretty recently that's called Six Ways to Know Your Date Has an Asian Fetish and How to Respond. And so that's a great piece also to read when thinking about the fetishization of Asian women in particular, specifically by white men. And so just learning about 
that dynamic and the history behind it and especially how that came into play in this this situation with this white man who killed these women and you know finding ways to check your own biases and look at the ways that maybe you're contributing to these stereotypes or ways that you've overlooked it when you've been in con- in, in communication with other folks so i think this is going to be such a great conversation to help us start to think about that even more. So without further ado, here is my chat with Siona. So how are you? I'm I'm good. I'm like very, I'm struggling with feeling like inspired by anything, like deeply mm. struggling. Like I have all these urgent things to do and I'm just not stressed about them because I'm like, ugh, like who cares? <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah. That's where I'm at. My head's going that right now. But generally good, but really trying to be like this. It's, it's like a funk, but not a sad funk. It's just like we survived a pandemic. So I'm really chilling. You know, I just I can't get the urgency everyone else has about anything right now. And many, many to an extent, obviously. But mm. in terms of work stuff, I don't have work urgency at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. I I also have been. I don't know if it's like a sense of like apathy or just Mm. exhaustion or whatever, but you're the first person I've heard who refer to it as that. And I like that outlook. (laughs) Yeah. It's just, (laughs) I think that's the best way to take it. Cause it's like, I think it is partially apathy and partially like recognizing what an intense past year it's been specifically and my own personal things. But part of it's also like, I'm, I'm really not, I don't have the existential stress that I used to have because yeah. again, a lot of historical things happened and I'm still here yeah. somehow. So yeah, that's not going to question it. That's a good outlook. I'm going to take that. <laughs> I'm going to take that with me into my next week. Thank you. I love that. You're welcome. <laughs> I really love that actually. Oh, me too. Okay. Well, a little sprinkles. <laughs> let's uh we'll we'll officially jump in um just Mm so as we're recording people know who you are so siona i'm so glad you're here this is really exciting uh we'll i guess we'll get a little into how we know each other how we ended up here but um for my listeners who don't know you who are you outside of your work and who are you in terms of what do you do yeah Oh, gosh. See, isn't that funny? I was about how work, I try not to define myself by it too much. And you ask me outside of work and immediately I'm like, I don't know. Um, <laughs> no. But yeah, no, no. So my name's Siona. I am, I think the best way to put what I do is I have my own personal podcast called Own Your Stories, which is how we met. Mm-hmm. And I guess we'll get into that later, like you said. Yeah. But outside of that, I'm just someone who's really like deeply curious about why people things like why I'm deeply curious about why people do things and like what are the personal stories behind everything like I don't and I I'm I do a lot of political research and a lot of stuff focused on migration and race and identity and I think all that research side is important but I use all that research to just kind of talk to people about why they do things like I'm interested in people's personal stories mm-hmm. um not only in my work, just like generally, generally speaking, I just like to talk to people and be like, well, what's up? Like that's, I feel like it's a really good description of who I am. Um, yeah, but I think outside, and I think maybe that's why I'm kind of struggling to answer this is because in the past year, I've really decided to make sure my work aligns with who I am. Because mm-hmm. had you asked me this question last year, I would have been like, I am uh, a journalist who does these things on the side. But now I've really 
consciously decided to make sure my work aligns like with my values. So maybe that's why it was so hard for me to answer that. Yeah. I'm sure that helped, but yeah. Well, I think <laughs> I think that was a great fruitful answer. And I it right away uh gets me into wondering like from when you can remember, is this always how you were? Or was there like a certain point that got you super into this mode of like curiosity around people's stories? Mm. I I feel like I've always been this way, but I didn't really start embracing it maybe till like four-ish years ago, like sometime in college. Mm. I think specifically working in a college newsroom. And so I wasn't a journalism major, but I was working in a college newsroom and I was also a political science major. And I, you know, everyone's talking about Trump and all these like political phenomenons. And because I'm really interested in context, I was like, this isn't as shocking as we think it is. Mm -hmm. And eventually I realized that when I said that it would surprise people in the policy space I was in, as well as in the newsroom spaces I was in, because they weren't talking to people the way I was. Mm -hmm. Like, I just was actually talking to people um, and not for a story, just talking to them. So I think I really started to embrace it then. But I've always been someone who's like deeply like interested in why people do things. Yeah. Um, And I thought everyone was, and I guess not everyone is. (laughs) I know exactly what you mean. Um, Yeah, it's always it's always bizarre to have that realization that people's brains just completely work so differently than what you're used to being around right and (laughs) so well but so you you say like you always kind of were and now having like the ability to look back and maybe identify other parts of your life if you're looking back at like I don't know like high school Siona or middle school Siona Mm -hmm. is there any situation that you can think of where you can pinpoint that part of yourself that was starting to come out yeah, I think it'd have to be even before that. I just remember being like a a kid, like I don't know, five to seven, like childhood. And my family's from Eritrea, so we'd always have. I'm not even sure if they're political conversations, just like cultural conversations. Like I was around a lot of cultures, like not just like Eritrean culture, but also the broad East Africa and sometimes, oftentimes, like Arab cultures. A lot of times, okay. And I would be fast. I wouldn't be. I don't know. Fascinating is the right word, but I remember <laughs> just being like why are we like why are the conversations happening in this space I'm exposed to so different than conversations I'm having in school and I Mm. don't exactly remember what the context of the conversations were yeah I just remember being like why is that if I say this in class I can get in trouble or I'm being told I talk too much or I'm too political yeah when that was just the norm for what I was raised around if that makes sense like I was just raised to be very aware of different perspectives um on like a larger cultural standpoint. And I think that's really when I developed my interest. Okay. Because I still go back to that as like my, uh, why I wanted to get into like storytelling okay. story. Yeah, I think, well, one thing I'm curious, do you feel like that is a really big cultural thing? Or do you think that was more singular to like your family and the people you were around? Mm, I think it was, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's a cultural thing in the sense of a lot of people have a lot of pride in like their family's like liberation story in the sense of, and I don't think it's just unique to like even my culture. I think a lot of first gen Africans Mm -hmm. or maybe people who came here at a very young age have family members who fought in a liberation struggle. Like that's just part of the story. Yeah. Um, And it may not be as explicit as my family was because they just, I think they realized at a young age I was really interested in, like, policy and stuff Uh for some reason. So they kind of encouraged it. But I think that's more common. Like, it's not 
decisive to talk about politics. Whereas, like, in American culture, it's always, like, don't talk about politics over Thanksgiving. And I'm right. like, why not? Like, what? Also, it's like, what does, what do politics mean? Like, politics aren't just policy and, like, leadership. It's also culture and food and, like, it's, it's so nuanced. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I had a very broad stroke understanding of that. But I didn't really realize I was influenced till I got older and actually had, like, you know, the language to define right. what was happening. Yeah. Yeah, I because I'm just thinking I had a conversation with my sister not too long ago and we were reflecting on how, you know, in our household, it was when we were growing up, there was very much like the parents table that ended up talking about politics and then the kids table and we went and kind of did our own thing. And when I got older and was like in high school and it was just me and my parents, like I feel like I got opportunities to kind of go a little further into political conversations with them them than maybe my older sisters did. But I think felt like that was kind of at least the norm in like a lot of like white white people's homes growing up and like Mm -hmm. American uh quote unquote like that kind of expectation of well this is a an adult thing this is how much we're allowed to go into it in school kind of like what you were saying Mm -hmm. um so Yeah. yeah but now to hear people try and like separate the two like the personal and political I'm like it's like how we can't like it's impossible yeah Right. Exactly. Well, I think a lot of it's also like just the industry people are in because I am again as as someone who like if, if there's an event that hap- that's happening, it's never in a silo, right? Mm-hmm. Yet newsrooms will often tell you if you criticize them for looking at the context, you're not being objective. And then in policy spaces, it'll be like somehow we'll have amnesia, right, about <laughs> everything else that preceded that specific event. Mm-hmm. Um and the the accusation is like you're not objective, like you're biased, you you're emotional, right? Like that charge, gendered language. So it's like, yeah. it's very interesting that that's what happens. And it's actually you just reminded me that I think when I graduated high school, um, I wrote this, I wrote this letter to like the Fairfax County, like to mm, I think it's like the Northern Virginia Magazine or something <laughs> like that. And I wrote about how crazy I found it that like throughout primary school and high school. Like you said, kids are told to not talk about politics, even in schools. Like teachers get in trouble, and then yeah. all of a sudden they turn eighteen, and you're upset they're not voting. Like, right? You didn't you didn't <laughs> provide the platform. Like you punish people for talking about it. So yeah, no, it's very bizarre. And obviously, I can't paint a broad stroke. I don't know if all families were like mine, but just the ones that I know of. Yeah, were similar to mine. Yeah, of course. Well, I'm glad that you brought up the objectivity piece because that was something I really wanted to talk to you about because I know that we've like talked about it here and there and like I know I see you post about it and you talk about it in other spaces of your work and I remember I think it was I want it was probably during the pandemic I don't know anymore but Mm -hmm. it was sometime in the last year and a half and I was listening to this podcast called A View From Somewhere by Lewis Raven Wallace Mm -hmm. and that podcast kind of blew my mind in terms of understanding objectivity and you know how it functions in white supremacy and so I just wanted to hear kind of the I don't know if I can say the origin story for you but like the the point for you where that kind of clicked and you like if you always knew that or if there was something or some things that kind of helped you start to realize okay what actually is this quote-unquote objectivity that journalism is supposedly supposed to have yeah well first off yeah i love that i love that book of the podcast uh lewis and folks like around them do a lot of great work they just are actively trying to organize on like movement journalism and 
they're just doing a lot of good work. So like, yeah, I think I think everyone should listen to Views somewhere. So I'm glad you did. Um, <laughs> but I don't I think that's the thing. I always felt the way to tell a full story, the way to tell an accurate, truthful story is to look at the full picture. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think part of it was kind of just luck. I was aware of that in the sense of when I transferred to my university, I did want to be a journalism major, but the pro- like just the program itself was just wanting me to do more work than I had the space to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also really was, I really liked understanding like policy and foreign policy and stuff like that. Um, so I chose to go that route instead. And I just chose to develop my journalism experience through like a new, like the college newsroom and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. when I'd be in the newsroom, I would be bringing in all these angles I was learning from like, not just class, but just like understanding, you know, sociology, understanding black radical feminism, or like understanding these different perspectives into the newsroom with me. And I didn't realize how odd that was till I had like people who were around my age being like, kind of questioning what I was doing. And I had a very supportive newsroom, but it kind of Mm -hmm. wasn't until that point that I realized what I thought a story should be is not how people are trained to tell stories. And then once I was in like when I was looking for opportunities after I graduated, I generally chose to be in places where I could have more freedom to explore what I thought journalism should look like, mm-hmm. you know? I And I think maybe just a personality thing. I just really, you can't tell me something's right just because it's been done that way for a specific amount of time. Like mm-hmm. that's just how my personality is, I think. So I've always was aware that something was off about objectivity and the fact that when I was forced to tell a quote-unquote objective story a certain way yeah I would feel like in a moral bind I don't know how to describe it to you but it literally be like this is wrong Mm. and that's when I was like let me just keep following what I'm doing and when I worked at a previous newsroom like my last newsroom before I started freelancing it was it's a very traditional space like very traditional very you know we're not going to include any perspectives and say it's objective. And if you criticize it, we're going to say that like you're too biased for the story. Um, And seeing how like that put me in not only just like in a weird mental space, it also led to me not doing my job properly and not caring to tell people stories anymore. Right. Because I was being pushed back on against so much. Yeah. So I think I've always kind of, but, but I didn't realize what I was critiquing was objectivity until maybe the past year and a half. Like, I didn't become aware of words like movement journalism or aware of words of like the history of objectivity until maybe a year, year and a half ago. And when I saw other people were also like, you know, kind of being like, what is this? Like, what is objectivity? Why is objectivity defined by like the white male gaze? Right. Um, and I could connect like my my interests in like post-colonial or neo-colonial rather standards into American journalism. I was like, there's there's something there. So I'm still trying to figure it out, but yeah. I think I've always known and now have the language to explore it. Where did you first start seeing that language? Was it the book that I mentioned or was it somewhere else? Do you remember? Mm, I, th- oh, that's a really good question. I don't know. <laughs> probably twitter like if I'm <laughs> probably. Honest, probably somewhere twitter yeah probably twitter i probably saw a thread and was like huh this is interesting like and yeah. then it's you know and, and you know it's like audio is a small world but also mm-hmm. i feel like a lot of just media is a small world generally speaking like like it's, not everything's hollywood right so mm-hmm. like everything's pretty small so you can find one person and connect another person and then i just started to really pursue like spaces where I could like hone that in or get to talk about it more. But I don't know when I first heard it. That's yeah. a really good point. Uh, but knowing that there's people who thought like me and I wasn't like alone uh-huh. really helped me 
decide, okay, I'm going to take these steps. I'm going to do my own work. I'm going to work for myself. Like, because I can't rely on these institutions I don't even trust to change for me. Yeah. Right. Because like clearly that system works for a lot of people. That's why it still exists. Right. Right. Exactly. I'm I'm so glad you brought up the Twitter aspect of it because it's funny. I I was on like the biggest Twitter hiatus after graduating college. Like I was on it randomly here and there and mm-hmm. just like didn't understand the use of it until I started Podraland. And the more I got into it, the more I just realized how definitely it can be a hellscape, but it can also be like a great, like another great space for learning. And especially like through the election cycle, I remember just thinking so clearly, like I don't know what other people's pages are looking like, but I'm so sad for the people who are missing out on specifically a lot of the women in like the podcasting like space that are speaking on these issues and I'm like there's people missing this but I'm learning so much from this right wow I mean that makes sense I feel like what's interesting to me about you is like you (laughs) are someone who so diligently uses social media and I don't mean like just I mean I don't know maybe you're scrolling I'm not on your phone but I feel like you're someone who like uses their social media with a very clear intent (laughs) And, like, for me, actually don't, I mean, I use, I'm trying to, it's weird, the past year, I've been in a space of really resenting social media, like, mm-hmm. really struggling to be on it, like, and you know this, I'm, I'm always, like, deactivating my Twitter, like, it's been yeah. deactivated for, like, a few, for, like, two weeks now, I'm just, like, and I, I'm trying to figure out why that is, and I think it's because for a while, Twitter, for me, was a space to learn, or at least to uh, get introductory, um, or at least, like, get introduced to topics, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. You know, I may not rely on Twitter to, like, teach me because yeah. social media can't, like, teach you things, right? But of course. But it can, it can expose you to things so you can develop and expand your thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's how I used it for a while. And then I finally was like, there's just too much information on here. Like, <laughs> yeah. I need to figure out what I think. And it's interesting because I think with you, though, I feel like you really strategically use it in a way that's not, like, PR-y. Like, I just feel like you're genuinely using it the way it's supposed to be used. Like, in the ideal world, you are the example of, like, the correct user. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's so nice. I mean, (laughs) I wish that that was fully what it was. (laughs) You know, the illusions will count. I know. I mean, yes, there's definitely a big part of my experience with social media where it has been that, where I'm, like, you know, I'm, I'm... really going on there to seek out things that I know I need to learn about or, you know, mm-hmm. people that I want to see what they're doing and see if I can support and that, 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 all that stuff. But there's also days where I'm like 100% like just doom scrolling and like, yeah, it's horrible. Um, but <laughs> I am also, I'm also trying to get more healthy with it. I like what you just said about like the stepping away and trying to figure out what you think though. Cause I've found especially especially in like with the height of the protests last summer and you know periodically through different I guess like high extra high stress parts of the past like six months um Mm -hmm. since they were all pretty like stagnant stressful but right there were times also where I was just like there's so much information being thrown in my face there's so many different strong opinions conflicting opinions that both seem correct like things like that you know that were like coming in and I was like I need to just like go journal about this and figure Mm -hmm. it out for myself so that I'm not coming into this space being like having like a you know like an identity crisis or like 
moral conflict crisis every time I log on and I'm seeing these conflicting things where I'm like, yeah, but there's validity to both of these. So what do I believe and how do I move through the world Mm -hmm. as best and like as best I can and how like least harmful to other people as I can? You know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah. for sure. It's (laughs) journaling is good. Journaling always um, it's it's the one thing that I can consistently count on. That's like a side tangent. But yeah, I think people should journal about like whatever's bothering them all the time. Cause I feel like for some reason, I think it's also hard because it's hard to just separate yourself from the stuff you're seeing online. Mm-hmm. And cause the reality is it's so intertwined, especially if you work in media, like you don't get to just like, I'll see these guys where they're like log off for the day. And I'm like, how? It depends on what industry you work <laughs> right, in. Exactly. How? Like when I log off or I decide to like not be on Twitter, for example, it's because I've already strategically been like, okay, I sent these DMs. I need it. I got their emails. I got everything done. I don't have to be on here right now. Mm-hmm. Right. But I can't just log off it. Like I can't just do it at the whim. So I think just having, yeah, the wherewithal to be like, okay, let me go journal about this or let me go like process this and not just retweet it. Like read the article before you retweet it at least. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you, have you seen how they've started to like prompt you to be like, do you want to read it first? And I was like, all right, Twitter, I like this. Yeah, I did see that. And I was like, okay. It was funny because I had read the article somewhere else. And just like, I think I saw some uh, posts about it. So I was going to retweet it. And I was like, well, let me reread it now. I feel like, (laughs) you're like, damn, Twitter's watching me. (laughs) Like, I was like, yeah, I, that's another thing. I was like, that is, because you know, they're, watching you it just weird when you get prompts like that because you're like ah, oh, confirmation i did not need but mm, yeah. i guess we're doing something good with it at least with all this the tracking and surveillance <laughs> that's good of you <laughs> i've definitely retweeted you know? with without depending on the article if i'm like for whatever reason if i'm confident i'm like i'm gonna go back and read that article or if right. it's like it's not so much articles. It's normally like podcasting news related stuff mm-hmm. where I'm just like, oh, I want to amplify this, but I don't have time to read it right yeah. now. So I'm going to bookmark it versus like, I'm going to retweet this article that has a like, you know, uh, a headline that is supporting everything I believe. And I'm not going to confirm that it's not like saying some shit that's not true. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's stuff I do want to be careful about. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. I feel like I see a lot of people do that. Like I know people who do that and I'm like, I don't get it. I'll, I know people who literally, like, see an Instagram, like, screenshot of a, of a news article and share it. And, like, I'll read the article. This happened during the vaccines, too. Like, the vaccine rollout. And I would, like, look it up and I'd be like, this is fake. Like, what? It was just weird. But I know tangents. Well, and we're all it, – it's funny because I think a lot of people on certain sides want to believe – like, on certain political sides, let me be clear. But want to believe that it's only – possible for that opposing side to be you know at risk of doing that when it's right. it's all of us we all have it's to be very like self-aware and like check ourselves in that process because we can we're all human and we can all be subjected to that yeah like, we all want confirmation bias it feels great to feel right yeah so for sure, for sure. Hey friends, just a brief pause from this conversation so I can tell you about The Wave Podcasting. The Wave is a company that helps women grow their podcasts so they can build an audience and get paid. They offer educational resources and a digital community of which I am a part of and have gotten to meet some pretty dope women and get some great tips along the way. 
Plus, the founder, Lauren Popish, is a huge reason I've been able to start this podcast. She helped me find the perfect recording equipment for my setup and just get really comfortable with jumping in for the first time. And here's what's cool. They have a free mini guide that will help you kickstart your podcast growth strategy that you can download today by going to the show notes to find the link to their website. And when you're ready, you can purchase a complete guide to podcasting and use my code PODRALAND, P-O-D-D-R-A-L-A-N-D-10 to get 10% off the total cost. So ladies, come podcast. So question about that for you, especially since we're talking so much about, you know, kind of the falsehood of objectivity, right? And I wonder, as you're moving through these spaces and we're seeing the necessity of like the personal experience and also telling a particular like news segment or something like that, you know, how do you kind of decide between your own, the, the usefulness and necessity of your own experience while also then checking your own bias that could be harmful or not productive? Do you get what I mean? Like how do you kind of, Uh, navigate through that what does that look like um I think it just depends like on what the project I'm working on right if I have someone else there I'll tell them to tell me because I think it's very obvious when someone has a very deeply personal bias like it may not be and I think when people say words like bias or thinking of really insidious uh problematic hateful statements but I'm like no a bias could just be as simple as me really liking a source but their story doesn't help what I'm trying to say. So, like, why am I talking to them, right? Like, mm-hmm. having that ability to be crit- critical. Um, if I'm working with someone, I'll be, like, I make very clear, like, I'm honest about where I'm coming from because I think it allows people to hold me accountable. Because mm-hmm. I think the problem is, and this is what I've run into with other people, is if you always say, oh, I'm objective, you're not giving space to be held accountable for your biases in the first place, which can be as um, – as insidious as blatant racism or as something as like you just really like this place and want to talk about it right yeah um so if but on an individual level i think i just i this might sound corny i just check in on myself you know <laughs> yeah. i really try to see like why do i want to talk to them like what is the point of this or are they the best person to talk about this thing or should i go to someone else and like keep them in mind for mm-hmm. something um but there's also certain topics i just will not at this point do stories on because mm-hmm. I know I'm just too deeply invested in the even if not so much even the issues but the people attached to the issues mm-hmm. that I can't tell the best story about it um so I just feel like I just I, I just try to be aware of that like where where am I actually helping where am I not helping mm-hmm. um doing more more long-form stories has been interesting because I've had a chance to really develop that like all the projects I'm working on now I started in the fall and they wrap up in the summer, which is the longest I've ever worked on several projects at one time. Um, so it's been it's been great to have that space to kind of check in on myself or to have people be like, mm, this sounds great. I see why you're attached to this, but is this is this helpful? And I think that's kind of where being aware of that personal side actually informs me to tell better stories because I'm being held to account for anything. Yeah like any sort of oversight, any sort of bias or anything like that. Yeah, it's just always such a good reminder of like, the more honest you can be with yourself and others in all these spaces is better than trying to like pretend you don't have 
certain thoughts or biases because we all yeah. do. <laughs> like, we all do. And I think like people, again, people just don't want to admit that because they they associate having a bias with like a very particular type of narrative. And yeah. like, I know, you know, it makes sense. Like I, I know where it's for me, it's like, I don't know. It's like, I, I know I'm not racist. I know I'm not misogynistic but i also know that those like white supremacy and like patriarchy is so explicit in our world Mm -hmm. that like it can show up in your thoughts or in your work and you don't even realize it like you're like you know and i can't think of an example right now but yeah you have to be aware of those like nuances Mm -hmm. and um yeah like i said if you're not honest with others and yourself how the hell are you gonna tell like a good story an accurate story even (laughs) like you can't there's no way and i think we saw that now unfortunately with the coverage of Atlanta, like yeah. the way people have tried to justify it is because they're trained to think that's objective. That's not. It's absolutely not. So Yeah. Yeah. I'm just sickening. I'm just aggressively shaking my head in disgust, uh, for those who can't visually see me right now. Mm-hmm. Um I was just re-listening to this episode of Reply All, which is now kind of bittersweet given what's been going on there. But it was an episode that Stephanie Fu mm-hmm. did about quote unquote yellow fever. And um, she just like reshared it on Twitter uh, today with some commentary. Mm-hmm. And I like listened to it before this. And yeah, it was just uh, something everyone should listen to in the midst of what's happening this week, for sure. Mm-hmm. So... I'm glad people are talking about it because I didn't realize like one of like a big thing I've researched when I was an undergrad and I'm hoping to do more of it now. Well, not now, but like in the near future mm-hmm. is just like people think like a positive quote unquote positive stereotype is a good stereotype. And I'm mm-hmm. like, there's literally no such thing. Like, a- <laughs> a- Absolutely not. So I will definitely listen to that and um, I'll amplify it because you're right, outside of replies, all of the issues doesn't mean that people they talk to don't have maybe something to say to us, which right. seems like she does. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, so before time moves too quickly, I want to make sure mm-hmm. we get into some own your stories, specific questions. And hey. today is actually an exciting day. So we're recording this on March 19th, which is the official launch of season two for own your story. Yeah. Woo! Oh my gosh. Thank you for watching. <laughs> yeah, of course. I listened to it yeah. earlier today. Oh, um, I'm so glad. I'm so happy. <laughs> that was that audio. I told you that I had to like really, really, really work hard on. So I'm glad we got yeah. to that point. Cause I was like editing last night, like, this is not clean. This is not clean at all. What is happening? So I'm glad it worked out. (laughs) Oh yeah. I know all too well how that goes, but yeah, no, it sounded great. And so there were a couple questions I had that actually kind of came up after listening to this episode in particular. And one of those was, well, before we get into where it is now, tell my Mm -hmm. listeners a little bit about, you know, the inception of own your stories and how it looks a little different than how you used to be able to run it. So yeah, let's do that first. For sure. So Owner Stories started two years, actually almost two years ago exactly, um, within a few days on the 23rd. Oh, wow. Oh, this um, is perfect Yeah, super, super soon. Right, look at this. Look, everything (laughs) everything is... uh, Serendipitous? I don't know. I don't know if that's the right word. Yeah, Yeah, this word. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, but Owner Stories started two years ago and it at first just literally started with me talking to 
one of like my closest friends, Michael Kamel, and being like, hey, like we should just talk to strangers. Like that was, I mean, I literally made him come to Starbucks while he was hella sick to talk to me. Aww. And we just were like, we're going to talk to, we're going to talk to strangers. Then he went home afterwards. Um, <laughs> and it was just like us with a bunch of random questions inside of JAR being like, you know, what's your favorite childhood memory? What is something you wish you could change? What topics are you sick of? But also like, what topics do you want to tell me about? Like, can you teach me something today? Um, very random. And it started out of an urge to really personally connect with people. I was in a really bad mental space at that point. Also, I just graduated. I was confused about my career. Like, I was just lost. <laughs> and I was like, one thing I know what to do. Like, the one thing I'm good at is, like, talking to people. Mm. So let's let's figure that thing out. And Michael's good at that, too. Um, so he brought his, like, camera. And he got some photos of me talking to people. We got to get videos of people, like, responding to us. And it was very much so that. It was very much like an in-person, interactive questionnaire that started in D.C. at random events. And then we did stuff in Richmond. Um, I did some stuff in Philadelphia once or twice, I believe. Um, And then eventually we hosted live events, kind of events about... Because the thing was, because it was so random, it was so personal. The problem is, is like, I am so... Not, I guess not a problem, but it wasn't (laughs) fulfilling my curiosity of, like, political issues. Like, it wasn't fulfilling my, like interest in social issues um and i was like there has to be a way to get these random things to can like seemingly random topics to connect to people's deeper stories and helping them see how their stories are uh, a beautiful example of larger political and social conversations um and we kind of leaned it towards that so the conversations became more about uh, how women navigate the creative industry and the misogyny that's in these spaces or um we talked a bit, uh, a little bit, we were planning to do something before the pandemic closed about um, sex worker rights in Virginia. Mm. And that's something we're hoping to do in the next few uh, months as well. Uh, socially distanced, of course. <laughs> but just kind of like seeing how we can use this concept of talking to random people to prompt larger conversations. And more importantly, getting people to talk to each other. Like, mm. I have no problem talking to folks. But the problem is, is like, not everyone's talking to each other. So it was really great to do that. But when the pandemic came... Uh, we couldn't do that anymore, obviously. We still can't really do that. So um, we, at first, weren't sure how to continue owner stories. And then eventually at that point, um, I had already had some audio experience but really wanted to take it to the next step and really, you know, leave my job and start freelancing. I was like, well, like, why not practice owner stories? Like, we've been wanting to make a podcast. It's the best time. Um, And then we shifted to a podcast format. And I know like when we, I think we first met, we still were using the prompt format as a way to kind of interact with people and making that the topic Mm -hmm. of every episode and then eventually kind of expanded out from there. So it's been interesting to see how much it's grown the past like two years and the year, especially the past year, especially because the first episode was April 2020, I believe. Oh, yeah, Mm -hmm. definitely coming up on that. So did you find that when you shifted to the podcasting format, like what did that, I guess, give way to that maybe it wasn't before? It gave way to, I think, well, obviously one, just like permanent content, like mm-hmm. it just there people listen to. But aside from that, it just allowed us to talk deeper about specific issues. Instead of having to frame everything around people's responses and like respond to that, we were able to give space for folks to talk about issues that um, they care about or their feelings about certain issues while also providing like more, I guess, expert context mm-hmm. in a way that didn't feel like an expert was talking to you. Yeah. Is that was that was the vibe. And what was interesting about the first season is like Michael and I are both such like perfectionists <laughs> to the best of our extent with our work that like we it was really hard for us to like 
put stuff out that wasn't to our standards. But eventually we were like, yo, we just have to do this and see where it goes. Yeah. Like, we have to explore and figure out what was happening. So it changed so much even that first season. Um, but I think that was that was the goal. And that's what we're hoping to do the second season, right? So we started with the question of, you know, what does home mean to you? And really like pushing that question mm-hmm. on every single platform possible. Yeah. Um, and even though we didn't include all the answers in that first episode, just talking to people who like got that message across the world was so bizarre. I was like, this is so weird, like in a good way. But I was like, I can't believe you actually listened to this or like, you're actually like wanting to talk to me. Um, so we we're trying to keep that energy, but also make it more topical, like yeah. give people much more fuller expanse yeah. of what that looks like. Yeah, I, I I loved seeing all the posts on social asking with the videos. <laughs> and um, yeah, it was really exciting to see you, you two use um, just use all of those things that we talked about when I was doing some yes. work with you too. Yeah, you, yeah, you're back of the mind. You really were. We were like, where I was like, Xandra would like this. And like, we still use her. If anyone's hearing this, hire her, please, for whatever work you need. <laughs> like did a great job um no but seriously like it was really helpful to have someone else come in and be like you know i think everyone needs that motivation sometimes someone Mm -hmm. else being like no like your work is important your work is good yeah you can do this outside of just you and the person you're working with yeah you know having that support and i think what i really am hoping to do the next year with owner stories and just even outside owner stories my own work is really cultivate community like yeah which is why i do my real life i was like i really need to focus on like audio community because it's such a small world um but yeah that's something we're really trying to do and I guess it makes sense we focus on home this season Mm -hmm. because home has become such a a thing for so many of us the past year either we're stuck in our homes to an extent Mm -hmm. uh, so many of us are losing our homes like so many people are having to navigate a society that does not want to house people yeah um and the way housing exists in our cultures is so fascinating to me and just to see even the way people think of home um it's so different from each other it's so different mm-hmm. but the core thing is uh is safety almost yeah. like community mm-hmm. yeah i noticed that i think some some of my favorite pieces that came out of that episode was there were a couple people that said something along the lines of home is when kind of like when i'm in alignment with my needs and i'm like honoring my needs um, and whatever that ends up looking like. And I, that was like, I was like, I need to write that down and that down. I was like, let me make note of that. Um, <laughs> but I, I thought, that. yeah, I thought that was great. So in terms, so I thought the format of this one was interesting because it was, it was mostly, you know, we got like the little snippets in the beginning and then we got kind of these longer, not super long, but like longer form stories that, um, we're all just kind of connected and flowed. And then Mm -hmm. I know a lot of like first season stuff, we have you for the most part. And then Michael on some of the episodes kind of working us Mm -hmm. through the, the story and like navigating us through the space. And obviously there was some like background noise in the ones that were able to be in person, um, Mm -hmm. like the protest related ones. And I, how do you choose which format for which topic? Yeah. Oh, that's a, that's really funny asking that because my um my plan for this lovely hype fun Friday evening is creating <laughs> podcasts for my pets. <laughs> like, it. It's really funny asking that actually. Um, but I mean, I love doing it. I think that's where getting more professional podcast experience has really helped me mm. because before I would 
be like, oh, this is how, like, a daily news would do it. So I guess this is how I have to do it. Like, not understanding how creative audio can be. Mm -hmm. So now I think it's, um, like, when I look back on, well, one thing I, well, hmm, how do I say this? One thing I did for this episode specifically, and, like, what I'm planning to do for the rest of the season is I really went back to, like, listen to all the episodes of Owner Stories. And I'm someone, I think, like most people, I don't like to listen to my own work. Like, I just don't, you know? I I pick apart the wrong things instead of being like, okay, what would I change but not in a negative way? Like, how would I restructure this? What worked, what didn't? Mm-hmm. And I think that was something we really want to change. I don't want to be... Like, even in this episode, we involved me and Michael's voice, but we didn't want it to be at the very end to, like, close on us, mm-hmm. right? So I think just really thinking about how would the pe- people we're talking to voices come through, and even as we include more, like, expert voices in it, mm-hmm. how do we still center people's personal experiences um, so I think for this one specifically, it made sense to really connect, even though there's so, there's such random voice memos, just finding small connection between the two. Like if someone was talking about, um, like there's two people that talk about relationship. I don't want them to be butted up against each other. I wanted to have something in between to kind of make it flow mm-hmm. and not feel so, um, so against each other in a way. Cause I think ha- the, before though, if this was a few months ago, I probably would have placed them right after each other Mm. to be like oh this makes sense like this you know they're both talking about this general topic but they're talking about a general topic with such different angles that i can't just put them next to each other yeah so i'm really thinking about how everything flows together what is intent what do i want someone to really hone in on um and how can i do how can i make sure that i can do the least amount of editing in terms of not because i don't like editing but because i don't want to change what people are saying so much to fit the order i think it should be in mm-hmm. if it doesn't make sense like you know cuz i could have cut a bunch of stuff out and like reframed everything but then i would have lost the essence of what they were saying mm. um which is pretty common practice to do like even if cuz it's not technically a lie it's just that i really try to honor what people are saying in that space but for other episodes we'll have less voices so i can work more on just having telling one person's story really well and then backing away from like taking people through the episodes because yeah. that's something that we're really hoping to not do and michael's gonna be in this season more than he was last season um yeah cool yeah i think i got that sense when i heard the intro i was like oh there's michael i was like yeah <laughs> <laughs> so let's do it yeah. yeah yeah so i'm excited he's doing interviews and stuff and i was like oh this is fun love it i love it, love it. it's, it's mm-hmm. nice hearing your voices again um just since we aren't presently so working together i was just like oh, right so nice to hear them um <laughs> oh, i'm so happy i know okay one more important PSA. Here's my challenge for you. Take a screenshot right now of this episode and share on social media with a tag to Poderland and the guest. I want to know that you're listening and I want to shout you out. Also, are you signed up for Poderland's email list yet? Because as much as I love social media and connecting through there, I'm also preparing for its demise and I want to make sure that I stay in touch with you and we have control over our communication. Not only will you get important updates about this show, you'll get recommendations of other women-hosted podcasts, news related to podcasters you love, discounts on my cute-ass merch, and much more. Okay, let's get back into this interview. So... In doing this work, and you were just kind of talking about, you know, one version of like the integrity of keeping someone's story. And I cannot for the life of me remember, but I swear I was just listening to someone else talk about this this past week. So I don't know this, this whole episode we're doing right now is Mm. like having like scary, like not like bad scary, but just like Mm. moments that are just like coming together at the same time. It's cool. But 
it was about that piece of like, how do I keep the integrity of the story? And it also makes me wonder, like, you've been doing this work now for two years um, Mm -hmm. and in podcasting format, almost a year. And how has how has it either like changed or impacted the way that you view not just stories, but that piece of everyone in how they tell their stories and like what parts have just like shown the connection between all of us, I guess. And like, at what points do we really differ if you've noticed that? Mm, That's a good one. I think I think, well, it's going to be the best answer, but I, I think I'm still trying to figure that out. Okay. Because it's interesting because there were topics that we would bring up that people were, like, not willing to answer to that I thought they would be willing to. Mm. And then other ones – let me go on there. I can't think of one of them. Now let me pull up our Yeah, Instagram. go for it. Because there were some where I was like, this connects everyone, <laughs> but actually, no, it's not – or it is true, but not the way I thought it was. Mm. So I think it's kind of one realizing – all our personal connections are so different. But the one thing I saw consistently is like topics don't matter as much, again, as community does. Like community seems to be the one thing everyone's looking for, everyone wants. And when people have it, they tend to talk about it a lot. Like they tend to really, like it's not just about them. Like they'll they'll tell you a story and I'll be like, well, actually I was talking about this topic with this other group of people who I'm doing work with, like I've realized how people seem to always be searching for that, even if they don't realize that's what they're searching for. Mm-hmm. Um, and something Michael and I were talking about a few days ago. So I don't have like a concrete example, but I think in terms of what differ, like makes us differentiated, I'm not sure. I think that's something I, I, I'm really actually hoping to answer with the second season. <laughs> because to me, like I think another thing was like home is – it's so ubiquitous in so many ways, mm-hmm. yet it's so different. And I'm like, what if I meet someone um, whose idea of home is like totally different than what I thought it'd be? I don't know. I mean, I don't I have no idea. I'm still trying to figure it out. But I know one person I talked to for another episode was like, their clothing is home. And I was like, what? Mm. Like, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. You know? So I think the way people are different always surprises me. Yeah. Um, if that makes sense, I'm constantly being surprised. But I think the thing I've seen through all the answers and all the prompts and all the conversations, even before the podcast, has been people really want and crave community mm-hmm. and are oftentimes Rawls too scared to develop it because social media can feel so separate mm. that people become like hesitant to really just send a DM of friendship to be like, hey, like, do you want to be friends? Um <laughs> That's like, that's a conversation I've had quite a lot in the past two years. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I'm listening to you, you know, relay some of that. And when you said the part about clothing being home, I was like, oh, I identify with that for certain pieces. Whereas for you, yeah. Whereas for you, it was like, huh? And it was making me think this is probably going to like sound like, I don't know, like, I'm high or something, but um, <laughs> I feel like like the part of the story piece that I'm hearing you talk about and like in terms of like what is humanity, it's like you're, the humanity piece is you're always going to find people who resonate with your experience, even if their life experience was so different than yours. And then you're also mm-hmm. going to always encounter ones that make you go, huh, you know? 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's literally it. I also, yeah, it's funny because like, it's weird that I said haunt that clothing piece because when I thought about it afterwards, I was like, yeah, I guess I really do <laughs> identify with that in a weird way. But it's like, it's also people like teach you things. It's shocker. People teach you things. Um, <laughs> but like you have a conversation with someone and you're like, whoa, like I walked away with this new understanding of myself that I didn't right. know needed to be understood mm-hmm. like even our exchange right now you're like oh i kind of relate to that yeah. you know so it's which i will talk to you further about at some point yes <laughs> like, yes definitely um, <laughs> but i think another another theme i saw is um that's a weird unifying factor is people when you bring up politics or political the word political mm-hmm. they tend to clam up mm. and uh, this is why we try not to make that obvious as in our posts as much anymore mm. but once i'm talking to them i'm very clear like we're talking about the politics of whatever issue, music, um, self-care, home. It's interesting because they'll be like, oh, I didn't think of this as a political thing. And I was like, well, no, it is. Mm. So I think that's been other things. People tend to really freak out at the word of political yeah. um, and understanding what that means. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought that up because I really want to ask you this question and then we're going to start to wrap up and I'll ha- ask you the fire rapid fire questions. But um, in everything you do... And in also the way I approach things, and this was actually a big reason that when you first reached out about us potentially working together, I remember I saw that episode on intersectionality and I was like, mm-hmm. I was like, I'm there. This is it. We're definitely <laughs> working together. Uh, I was like so stoked to see that because I don't know about for you, but I still have only just in the last year seen it becoming more popular in discourse but Mm -hmm. and it's funny I try and think about when did I actually learn that word and the meaning behind it and I want to say grad school it could have been before I don't really remember but I do remember Mm -hmm. like my understanding of the world and my understanding of how the political comes into the personal and vice versa has forever shifted you know Mm -hmm. and so for you when did when did that happen? Like, where did you learn about it? And then I guess, how does it inform maybe the way you ask questions to help people start to see that? Uh, let's see. So yes, it definitely has informed how I ask questions. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. All right. So first time I actually heard that word, I think was uh, my junior. So I was like, what, 22, 21, 22. I was it was in my junior, like, women in global politics mm. class. I had a really dope teacher um, who I still stay in contact today. And she really dived into, like, we focused mostly on, like, the global south at large. Mm-hmm. But I heard this phrase from um, an Indian feminist whose name I cannot remember right now, but I will send it to you. Okay. And the, the phrase was, like, this quote, like, you know, this idea of – uh the justification for colonialism and also this can be applied to like the to America, the justification for right, racism is the brown woman needs saving from the brown man by the white man. Like it was mm. it was something of that nature. I will find this exact quote for you. Okay. But it was this idea of like <laughs> Yeah, it was really it's it's actually hold on, let me let's, we, let's just find it. Also. Okay. So um it's from this essay called the Can the Subaltern Speak? And in it, she says this quote, like, white men saving brown women from the from brown men. Mm. And that's the first time I read a quote like that. And I was like, oh, 
and then afterwards the professor was like you know this is where the intersection of like personal policies like morality politics get into like political issues um and she explained it further and then later on we were talking and she mentioned intersection like i've always heard the word intersectionality but i understand the meaning she's like Mm -hmm. yeah you know and she kind of explained the history of it to me um with uh dr kimberly brown and i was like, oh, this is this is a thing. Like, this is it was a reminder to me. Like, words have meanings, mm-hmm. and words can be traced. And of course, a black woman created the the phrase, mm-hmm. right? Like, of course, right. she was the one who created it. So when she first, um, or I'm sorry, Kimberly Crenshaw. I think it's a Kimberly Brown. Yeah, Kimberly but, Crenshaw. I wasn't yeah. sure if you were talking when about I, a different professor of yours, and I was like, no, 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 sorry. <laughs> I think I was just like I, Brown was in my head to be honest. But yeah, so my professor was like, yeah, like. Uh, Kimberly Crenshaw created this phrase and I was like oh that's fascinating because I had always known what it I assumed what it meant like the intersection of things right I'd always known I had had the argument so many times in my life like why I as a black woman I'm at the intersection of so much violence and so many oppressions Mm -hmm. um and I didn't have the language to defend myself in these arguments I was having these like spaces where people would be like like white women would be like, well, we're all we're all the same girl power. And like cis black men especially would be like, well, you need to wait because we need our rights first. And I'd right. be like, that is nonsense. So that's the first time I heard that phrase uh, around like 11th grade, so 21, 22. And then it gave me the ability to really like hone in on like black radical feminist thought and like understanding that. And then also radical feminist feminism from like the global South at large. Mm-hmm. Um, and then questions, I think... It's definitely informed it because I always try to ask, I always start with more personal questions. Mm-hmm. That's been my general thing. Um, like not like, oh, hey, how are you? But kind of, you know, tell me the first time you heard about this topic. If I'm, if, if I'm interviewing you about like mm-hmm. uh, the septic system, I don't know why I would. But let's say that's the, that's the conversation I was talking to you about. <laughs> I would probably start with like, you know, introduction self-id and then go into well why did you want to work in this field like something like that to kind of see where you stand and just kind of weave it in yeah and i'm always surprised at how many people don't do that like and it's 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 efficient for me it works for me and the stories i choose to tell because i choose to tell stories like they're more controversial i guess or more rooted in like really conflicted complicated histories yeah um so yeah definitely informs it and then uh, guiding people through the process has always been interesting because a lot of times I interview people, they're like, huh, I never thought about it that way. Mm-hmm. Not not even an arrogant way. I just really think I apply, how can I apply the personal with the political in these stories and whatever story that is. Yeah. Well, and I don't, I think it's funny you say that because I think I, I also have moments where I'm like, you know, trying to make sure that I'm being aware of the way that I'm bringing in certain knowledge that I have in conversations with people who maybe have that like lived experience of it, but don't have the language for it and not, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like, I think I, it's especially like being a white woman, I'm like, I need to be really cognizant of that. And I think also as women in general, it's, we're always kind of teetering on that line of like, Oh, I I just, I know this and I've put the time into it or am I being arrogant? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Right. It's like mm-hmm. those things are always butting heads, which is annoying. Always, always, <laughs> always. Well, because you have this one thing where you're like, don't be scared to quote yourself. I feel like yeah. you told me this, but also you like you made a post about this. And I was like, damn, you're right. Like, that's so true. It's so true because it's 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 funny because a conversation I had with like the EP of a current project I'm working on was how if we send emails out, the people who respond the fastest are first white men. Mm. 
Um, and then a lot of, then it'll be like some white women, but generally all women or all even like uh, non-gender binary folks will reach out to for like, you know, more expertise on stuff. Yeah. They will respond with a general email of like, I'm not sure if I'm the best person. I'm not the exact expert in this specific thing. Mm. Meanwhile, most men, um, and I think it's actually a thing across like, across race to be honest mm-hmm. will be like yeah talk to me about anything i'm the expert of everything even if they know they're not the experts anything and because they do that mm-hmm. they get more talking time and then they're deemed as experts even though they have no knowledge on these issues yeah. so i definitely think you're right and i've definitely had to encourage people to be like sure you may not know about this one sliver of this larger history but you still have more experience than i do so like i want to talk to you about it right and it's 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 a good reminder to myself to not always be like oh i'm being arrogant by talking about my experience you know yeah so. Yeah, you just know that shit. You've spent time learning it, you know, and yeah. mm-hmm. and living it, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's really fascinating. Um, there was another conversation that I was having for this podcast, and we were talking about the time it takes to respond to an email and the overthinking that can go into the crafting of the email as a woman or, you know, as a minority group and, like, someone who is not a white man and who's not concerned about, uh, you know, typos and things like that as much or like sounding professional enough or sounding perky enough or like all that like complex mm-hmm. things. And I'm like, I don't know. I was just like laughing and was like, why are emails giving me an existential cr- like crisis right now? <laughs> Absolutely. I completely relate. That literally happened to me uh, recently where someone, I had to like interview them about like some sort of update on the project I was working on. And I was like, I needed them to sign like a release form just to like approve them to talk to us. Mm -hmm. And my emails were so formulaic and formal. And I don't actually know why they were so transparent, but they were like, oh, are you okay? (laughs) I was like, I'm fine. (laughs) And I was like, yo, my bad. Because this person's like very chill, to be honest. So I think they were like, what's going on? Are you okay? (laughs) Like, and it took me like a good day to respond to this, are you okay email? Like, which makes no sense. Like, so yeah, I get that. And there's so many, or I even get email anxiety. I get very like, you know how some people are like, start your week by blitzing out emails. Which First off, I just hate that phrase, but there's literal like, I've literally seen people post this on Instagram where they'll be like, sending all my emails today. And I'm like, how do you start your week off on such a horrible note? Because <laughs> yeah. I hate sending emails. I hate, I just hate it. Um, and I think it's because of that. Like it, it gets so deeply wound up and like, is this correct? When it should just be as simple as like, bet, right. like cool, like fine, you know? Yeah. And now Slack is a thing too. And people will be sending whole essays on Slack. And I'm like, that's too much. I'm going to send you a thumbs up emoji and like, we're good. We're fine. We're totally fine. I can't handle Slack. It like, I've like, I'm on it for like one like group thing and it stresses me out and I'll like pop on every once in a while, but I'm like, I can't communicate this way. Like give me mm-hmm. old school aim. Like that's all I can handle. Um, <laughs> but- <laughs> <Aim>. Okay. <Good> <laughs> time. So we have to start wrapping up. So I want to get to these yeah. rapid fire questions. And uh, so first one is who in the podcast space would you name as either like a mentor or someone that you emulate and just love the work of? Yeah, I think... Hmm. Tracy Tong has been really helpful because I connected with them with through Air New Voices okay. uh, when I got the fellowship and they were my official mentor, but they all, they've been very, very helpful. Um, I also want to give a shout out to Elena Rivera, who isn't like their reporter in journalism, but I've talked to him a lot also through Air New Voices. Um, 
And I don't know, you know, that's actually a really hard question because so many people have been so helpful. Mm-hmm. So I don't even know if I have a specific name. I mean, that might sound really corny, but like every single person I've reached out to in this industry has like, hey, can I talk to you? They're like, yeah. <laughs> like, and it's been, it's been I, I'm still expecting someone to say no to me and no one said no. Um, so those are the two names I think of immediately, mostly because I talked to Elena like a few days ago, I think. Uh-huh. So that's top of mind. Yeah. Um, I also am currently working with, uh, Rose Eveleth from Flash Forward on a project cool. and they have been I'm not sure if mentor is the right word I feel like when I call somebody mentor I'm giving them responsibility per right. se to be honest but like people who are very helpful Yeah, I have never worked in a space where I'm getting so like not I've gotten support but like working with someone who truly is like no you have the ability to do this so I'm going to go trust you to do it so go do it uh, I love um, that and just, yeah, it's been great. And also just, like, on a technical note, learning from someone who also has, like, an independent podcast has been great. Um, and I don't realize how much I'm learning because I'm working, mm-hmm. technically. Like, so, uh, but every, like, I'll see how, like, things I'm picking up on that project. I can apply to owner stories. Um, I'm also missing 20 names, but that um, probably isn't the right answer. We but always I, So are. many people. Yeah. No, it's totally, I just, I always like to see who comes up. Um Yeah. And the why. And then the three names that you gave are people that I don't really know much about. So now I'm going to go look them up, which I love. I love it. I love that. (laughs) Okay. So now uh, next one is what are a couple podcasts that I would find you listening to when you're listening to pods outside of work? Right. Yeah, of course. Fun fact. You're right. It's so true. Um. Flyest Fables by Morgan Givens. I've heard of that so, one. Oh, so good. So, like, it's just a beautiful storytelling. It's, it's a story. It's basically like a, it's a narrative story podcast. Mm-hmm. And Morgan actually, I'm 90% sure on this, voices everything on it. I, I'm almost positive that's, that is correct. And it took me a while to, I feel like he wrote that somewhere or something. But yeah, Flyest Fables is really so good you would definitely enjoy it um i've been catching up on through line a lot recently mm. to be honest i feel like i don't listen to i mean i listen to a lot of npr podcasts out of just like news stuff yeah uh but i really like through line because again it's the intersection of like history mm-hmm. and, and everything happening now it's like, <laughs> literally analyze the intersections um so that's been something i've been really into and i think the third one i listen to on a near daily basis is the documentary from BBC, and I like it because it is a different story every single day, or nearly every single day. It's like, it can be like as mundane as like something about sand to something more relevant about different um, race and food justice issues. And I just like the fact that it's like fresh. Like I never really know what's going to come on the next day. Those have been my three things the past few... um, past few like in the past month and then oh scam goddess i'm always listening to scam goddess <laughs> love scam i love it i would love to interview lacy mosley that's something i don't know why but i'm like yeah Same. i hope i hope you talk to her because she seems so fun yes yeah so yeah yeah she's she's on my list for this podcast eventually so if you're listening yes. one day you'll get an email from me hopefully um <laughs> yes so. i mean I, I i feel like she would be down I, she just gives me I'm down. I'm down for a good time. Yeah. Vibes. Yeah. She's super fun. Um, I was, uh, she was on like IG live for Spotify, like last week or something. And mm-hmm. I was like, this is great. Um, but okay. Yeah. I think you're one of the first people I'm pretty sure who listed an audio drama. 
I think everyone, Ooh. yeah, I think I'm pretty sure everyone else I've had so far has only done, you know, like non-audio drama, which is a, a mm-hmm. realm that I haven't fully immersed myself in yet, but it's like one that I want to, obviously. Yeah, it's there's so many stories there. And I think like at first it sounds like, why would I listen to that? Like it, it doesn't feel appealing because... I just was like, I would rather read it. But then I was like, no, no, no. Something, some stories are just meant for audio. Like some podcast stories, like I think should be written and vice versa. So like, yeah, yeah, definitely. I think explore that realm. It's also like, you know, a great, I don't want to say filler, but it it kind of, I would imagine uh, scratches that itch of like wanting live theater in a time when we can't have live theater. It does. Wow, you're psychic. Yeah, it does. Is that it what you're just... does, At least for me. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. It does. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on, Siona? What's happening? Too many things. You know, are... so many things there. Yeah. <laughs> so many things. I just started getting into theater before the pandemic. Oh, I was yeah? like, I feel like I'm going to go back to this childhood thing. And I don't have like any specific favorites or anything, but I was like, this is something I would enjoy doing. Like, I want to sit down and watch people do things and not be standing having to go to a concert every single time mm-hmm. I want to do that because that's exhausting For sure. to be quite frank um, it is <laughs> so yeah I'm like I can only do like it's weird like there was so many concerts and like two years ago I was like yo this is so tiring I cannot be this hyped up yeah like every single weekend this is too much so the, the joy of late 20s um second half of your 20s <laughs> right <laughs> yeah I turned 26 and suddenly I'm like Whoo. but to be honest I like even as my turn 20, I was like, yo, your first few years are going to be a struggle. Like, and they, they were a struggle. We're here. We're still struggling because still my 20s, right. but like just a little less. Yeah. A little less. Well, 26, at least for me and like a lot of people that I've talked to, there's kind of like a, sh- a shift that starts. I mean, which makes sense since that's when our brains are like finally becoming developed. <laughs> Imagine. <Crazy>. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so crazy. But yeah, I, I do remember... There was, while I was dealing with a lot of crazy shit and emotionally, there was still a part of me that was like becoming more into myself and like mm-hmm. my confidence than definitely what I was experiencing in my early 20s. So it's, right. it's a good time. I, I love that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, I'm so, I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. So, <laughs> okay. So, final question is where can our listeners find your work, support you, all that good stuff? Yeah, so you can find Owner Stories on Instagram at O-W-N-Y-O-U-R-S-T-O-R-I-E-S. Um, everything's there. You can also, if you want to follow my personal, you can. The, my personal Instagram's there. My my tag has a lot of periods in it. So I don't know if you want that, but you can find me at S-E-E period O-H period N-A-H. It's Siona phonetically, which fun fact, a lot of people think my name's spelled that way, which really? I guess makes sense in a way, except I'm like Siona's right underneath there, but I get it. Like they could, I would just ask. I'm someone who's like, how do I spell your name? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you can find owner stories there and like we'll post um different episodes, different prompts on there. We're now on a bi-weekly schedule, which I'm really happy about because we get more time with episodes. So our first episode of the season was today. Uh we'll be promoting that a little bit in a few days, and then we'll be having episodes every other Friday. Woo! So fun time. Amazing. But yes, follow us for prompts because we want more people to respond to things. Yes, yes, definitely. And you'll find them reshared on my page too. So just keep yeah. keep a look out. And I'm really excited. Yeah, of course. I'm really excited for this next season. And I'm like very intrigued to see what 
other topics you're going to be covering. Yeah, it's been, it was fun. It was fun creating a list. I was like, this is random, but let's go for it. This makes sense. It made sense to us. So hopefully it makes sense to other people. Our original music is produced by Carrie Blue, and everything else is produced by me, myself, and I, Miss Alexandra Cole. And you can follow me on Instagram at Podraland, P-O-D dot D-R-A-L-A-N-D, or Twitter at Podraland, minus the period. And you can find more of what I do on Podraland at www.podraland.com, where I recommend women-hosted podcasts and feature indie women podcasters. So I hope to see you there. Feel free to subscribe to the newsletter. You'll get recommendations and updates about this podcast. And finally, make sure to share this episode, tag us in it, like that shit, give us a review. Anything you do helps not just this podcast get more exposure, but also helps these women's voices be heard by way more people. And ultimately, that's our goal. So let's fucking do it.